So today we're going to celebrate this historical sacrament of the church, is to do baptisms. And so we're going to do six today, six people, brand new on grace, six people being baptized today, three in this service, three in the next service, and it's going to be a time of joy for us. But to commemorate, so I'm going to, what we're going to do is interrupt the regularly scheduled program of Galatians, and I, want to, I wanted to preach a message that would really inspire and instruct and motivate the people that are being baptized, but I also wanted to preach a sermon that would inspire and motivate and instruct the, instruct the rest of us who are observing them being baptized and perhaps have already been baptized. So to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to turn and dive in. And if you're using one of the Bibles, uh, I've been reading some interesting studies about electronic devices that we read on. Suffice it to say that there's something beneficial to having a paper book in your hand. So if you want a paper book, you can reach under your seat. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one. On page 679 is where we're going to be. Like Galatians, this letter, the letter to the Colossians, was written by Paul. He wrote the letter to the Galatian church, and he also wrote this letter to the Colossian church. And I'm going to focus on verses Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12, but I want to read a little bit uh, larger section so that we can actually see the flow of Paul's argument here. So I'm going to read verses 8 through 15, but I'm going to focus, as I said, on verses 11 and 12. So let's Read that together. I'll read and you guys can follow along. This is the word of the Lord. Colossians 2 verse 8. See to it. See to it. That no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen? Sometimes all you have to do is read it. What's Paul saying here? What is Paul getting at here? What Paul is addressing in this section of the letter is, is, 
is this idea of what do you do once you received Christ? In other words, what is the Christian life? What, what does discipleship look like? Once you become a Christian, what are you supposed to do with your life? Paul is addressing these things in this letter. He's providing a description of what discipleship really looks like, and then he warns them about the challenges that they're going to face along the journey. Christian life, it's hard. Anybody with me? Paul knows that. Paul knows that. Paul knows that the Christian life is hard, and, and he, he's, he's, he's truthful about this with the, the church in Colossae, and he's telling them, he's warning them, and encouraging them to keep following Jesus, to make good headway, to get going. Once you receive Christ, what should you do? Get going, living for Jesus, making real progress. Real spirituality is what Paul is after. God wants us, once we submit our lives to Jesus, he wants us to grow. We keep growing. We keep being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a push for real spirituality, not a, not a fake spirituality, not a come to church, put your Sunday mask on spirituality, not a, a portray something outwardly that's not going on inwardly. What Paul is pushing for here is real, true spirituality, spiritual growth that then influences everything about us. He says in verse 6, look at it, I didn't start there, I started in verse 8. He says in verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There's the overarching command of this section. He's telling people that once you receive Christ, what do you do? You walk in him. You follow him. The beginning of the Christian life is receiving Jesus. The rest of the Christian life is following Jesus. That's a real simple way of Paul is saying it. And baptism is so important because it marks the beginning of the Christian life. Now, what I'm not saying is that baptism saves you. The people that are going to be baptized have already made a profession of faith in Christ. They're going to make one publicly today. But baptism outwardly symbolizes something that's taken place inwardly. So it marks, in many ways, the beginning of the Christian life. It's not the end of, of your duty as a Christian, which is what many people actually think. They, they come to church or they go to Mass and they... they, they baptize their children or you go through a, a, a class of catechism and, and you're confirmed and, and being baptized is kind of like you pray a prayer, you be, get baptized, you do your spiritual duty and then you can kind of check that box off. I've got my spiritual insurance policy taken care of, check. And then I'll just go live my life the way I want. The Bible has no concept of that. Paul has no category for that. The baptism marks the beginning. When you're baptized today, you're just getting going. But what you're doing is beginning to participate in the joy-filled life of following Jesus, the adventure of following Jesus. But it's not all easy on this side of heaven. 
This is life in the Shadowlands. There's a lot of things that will derail us along the way. A lot of things that will disappoint us along the way. A lot of things that will uh, depress us along the way. But baptism marks the beginning of your journey towards heaven. If you're following Jesus today is the first day of the rest of your life with Jesus. You're going to be with him for all eternity. Get your mind around that. You're following him now in the shadowlands, and the journey is complicated because we face so many challenges. That's why Paul regularly says things like verse 8, see to it. Another way of saying it, and he says this in his other letters, look out, watch out. Things that are going to come up against you. Don't get kidnapped. Don't get taken captive by the empty philosophies of the day. Human tradition. Empty deceit. Elementary ideas of the world. Don't get kidnapped by them. Don't get kidnapped by any ideas that will steal your love for Jesus. Don't get kidnapped by any ideas that take that displace Jesus from front and center and minimize him. Set him to the side and put something else in his place. Don't get kidnapped by these things. Church, you with me? The common problem with the teaching the Colossians were facing is all the teachings minimize Jesus. Don't get taken captive by any idea that minimizes Jesus. Church, family, the idea of not getting taken captive by any idea that would minimize Jesus is as relevant today as it was when Paul wrote that letter to the Colossians. Can't you think of any ideas that are seeking to take your thoughts captive? Keep your allegiance to Jesus. Don't give your allegiance to anyone else. What kinds of things might we be given our allegiance to? I call them the isms. They're the other philosophies of the day that we are tempted to place on the, the, the elevated position, the highest position of our hearts, and to set Jesus aside and minimize him. What are the isms? Moralism. In moralism, you find your salvation in your good works. In relativism, you find your acceptance in whatever you believe. Materialism, you find your happiness in stuff. Environmentalism, you find your purpose in saving the earth. Inclusivism, you find worth in tolerance. Optimism, you find hope for the future by following your inner star. Now, is there truth in any of those things? Oh, yeah. What we're talking about, though, is not allowing them to displace Christ as the the highest goal, priority, love of our lives. Don't get taken captive. The, the Scriptures warn us of putting our hopes in the prevailing philosophies of the day because they focus our attention on the wrong solution. Church, Jesus is the solution for a broken world. That's what the Scripture says over and over again. And this is the battle of the Christian life 
So we need this warning because it's so easy to get sucked into the philosophies of the day, and it's so hard to keep going against the flow. Sometimes I just want to turn around and go with the flow. I don't want to swim. I don't want to navigate against the flow. But if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to be warned against the temptation to go with the flow. So what does Paul say to help them? What what do they need to do? What do they need to avoid getting kidnapped? What do we need to avoid getting kidnapped? What will help us in walking in Christ? What will help us to keep following him? What will keep us rooted, as it says in verse 7, and built up in the gospel? What do we need for spiritual growth? If the activity of the Christian life is following Jesus, we make a decision, we receive him, and then we follow him, then what's the best motivation to keep you following Jesus and not get kidnapped? What's the best motivation? Well, look at what he does. I'll just show you you these things. He reminds them of some truth. That's what he spent this whole section doing. In him, that's important. He keeps saying this over and over. In Christ, in Christ, in him. He says, in him you've been filled, verse 10. In him you were circumcised, verse 11. In him having been buried, verse 12. Again in verse 12, you were also raised with him. You see this connection to Christ he's making? You were dead, God made you alive, verse 13. Having forgiven you, again, verse 13, by canceling the debt that stood against you, verse 14. What's Paul doing here? He's reminding them of who they are, what, who God has made them to be. So what does Paul say to help them from being kidnapped, to keep them from being kidnapped? One simple summary phrase. I'll say it this way. What do you need? What's the motivation you need to keep going after Jesus? What's the motivation you need to keep walking with him? What is, what's, the, what's the greatest motivation that could be offered to you that will keep you from falling captive to, to the ideologies of the day? Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Why is that so important? Because your identity determines your actions. You do who you are. Who are you? If you're in Christ, you're all the things that Paul just listed right there. Those things have happened to you. So we must remember who you are. And he does something really interesting right in the center of this text. He basically calls out baptism as a vivid description, a vivid reminder of who you are. When the people today get baptized, it's going to be a reminder for all of us of who you are in Christ. It's going to be a vivid description, a vivid one-word reminder for who you are. Because remembering who we are reminds us of our identity and then determines our actions. And our actions are to be sure that we don't fall prey 
to other philosophies and ideas. Don't minimize Christ, but keep him front and center. When my son, I have a son who just went off to college. Well, he's in his sophomore year of college. But when he graduated, we had the fun time of making a slideshow for him. Well, just going through it. It's one of those things, you know, you watch it and you cry. And you guys are going to do it too. Your kids will go off to college and you'll make these slideshows. And, and, and you sort through all the old pictures and, and you find a good song. It's kind of like a tearjerker kind of song, you know. And then you, and you sit and watch it. And so last night I was watching because I, I was trying to remember how we ended it. And, and at the very end of the slideshow, a slide came up. And it was just blank. It was, just, it was blank and then words came on it. And the words were, remember who you are. What, why do we put that on there? Well, in some sense, we were communicating, remember that when you go off to college, remember where you came from, remember you're a lynch, don't do anything that's going to embarrass the family. (laughs) Don't go off and drag my name through the mud. There was a sense in which we were probably communicating that. But it's, but it's bigger than that, right? There was a sense in which we've poured into our son. We've poured values into him. We've taught him. We want him to remember all of those things that we consider valuable. We want his actions to line up with what he says he believes. And as a professed follower of Jesus Christ, we want him, most importantly, to remember who he is in Christ. Because why? Because your identity determines your actions while you're at college. So remember who you are is a helpful phrase because it helps us to act consistently with what we say we believe. The easiest way to refocus people on their true identity in Christ is to actually focus them on their baptism. And so that's what Paul does. How does baptism remind us of who we are? Two two simple points I want to make. Baptism reminds us that we were buried with Christ, and baptism reminds us that we were raised with Christ. Let's look at the first one. Baptism reminds us that we were buried with Christ. He begins by talking about circumcision, and I think we covered that recently. I think J. Russ covered that idea recently as we were talking through Galatians. But but he's not talking about physical circumcision. He's talking about something that's not done with human hands. He's talking about spiritual circumcision. Circumcision means to be cut off. What does he mean? At his death, God cut off Christ's life. Christ's life was cut off that we might live. What else is being cut off? It's your sinful self and all the sin that, and the, the penalty that that sin deserves. Christ's life was cut off that we might live. The language of buried with, when he says buried with, having been buried with him in baptism, verse 12, that's funeral language. That's death language. There is a destructive nature to baptism. Something's dying. 
Do you know what's dying? Church is right there in the scripture. It's the old self crucified with Christ. The old self no longer living, but Christ, remember Galatians 2, who lives in me. There's a destructive nature to baptism. Maybe you didn't know that. If you're being baptized, maybe you didn't realize that. You're, this is like a funeral for the old you. Gone. Dead. When we think about baptism, we think about water. There's a lot of water in there. looks pretty clean, and it's warm, but we'll keep this on there to keep it warm. What Bible story comes to mind when you think about water? John the Baptist? What other one? I'm thinking of one that's even, even more vivid. Water. Come on, you BG kids, teachers. Noah, right? And a flood, right? We think of that when we think of water and the Bible. Noah's survival is a type of baptism. Noah was rescued. Only Noah and his family survived. What happened to the rest of the earth? It was destroyed by the floodwaters. Jesus was destroyed by the flood of God's wrath so that every believer could be saved through the waters of baptism. This is the hope of every Christian, that you will be saved through Christ's atoning death and not through any other human philosophy, not through any other human idea, not through any other human tradition. Our identity is wrapped up in Christ. It's wrapped up in His death, in our place. Being buried is a picture of our being joined with Christ. That's what laying the person down in the water pictures. It depicts being buried, the old self dying, being laid down in the grave. You guys with me? Baptism links you to Christ's death through your own death. You died with Christ. Baptism destroys you. It marks the death of your old self. Paul likens baptism to a burial by which the former sinfulness is buried, utterly taken away. Aren't you thankful for that? Utterly taken away because of your union with Christ. Baptism's a funeral for the old sinful self. Those who are baptized have died to their old selves because they're linked to Christ in His death. This, has, this is powerful for us. Tomorrow morning when you get up and you feel discouraged over your sin, I want you to remember who you are. When you get discouraged over some, some sin that you're struggling with, Megan shared it, you feel labeled, you have the voices of the past are whispering to you and reminding you of bad things you've done. What, do you, what, what is going to help you in those moments? What's going to help you when you feel discouraged? What's going to help you when you're reminded that, that even though you're in Christ, you continue to sin? It's this idea that that sin has been ultimately taken care of because it's been nailed to the cross of Christ where Jesus was nailed in your place. Your old self has been buried, crucified with Christ. Which leads us to the second point. Being baptized 
Baptism is a reminder that you've been raised with Christ. Not only did we die with Christ, we were raised with Christ. Not only were we delivered from the penalty of sin by sharing in Christ's death, and nothing now is going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Church, does that encourage your heart this morning? Nothing is going to separate you from the love of God in Christ. How do you know that? Because your old self died with Him, and your new self rose with Him in Christ. Nothing is going to separate you. Even here in the Shadowlands, with all these disappointments, all these trials, all these tribulations, all of these tears, nothing is going to separate you from Christ. You're still a sinner, but you're not separated from God. Jesus took care of that. That separation is gone because you've been crucified with Christ. You can draw near to God now in gratitude because His throne is now a throne of grace. Amen? But it's not just that we died. We were raised. That's only half of it. Baptism certainly depicts destruction, but it depicts life as well. Verse 12, he uses the word raised twice. Just as every disciple of Jesus Christ participated in his death, so every disciple of Christ participates in his resurrection, is raised with Christ. Raised from mortal death to a new life dedicated to God. Born to a new person. That's where you get the idea of a born-again Christian, right? The old self has died. The new life in Christ rises. You come up out of the water. It visually portrays you as your new life in Christ. Now, the water doesn't do anything, right? I, baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. What baptism does is it shows, it illustrates. Don't, don't illustrations help children's books? Don't they help kids to get it? Yes, the illustrations are helpful, right? When I preach a sermon and the preacher gives you a modern-day illustration, doesn't it? It hopefully helps you to understand. Baptism is an illustration of what that takes place internally. The baptism doesn't save you. Church, don't get that confused. Don't come rushing up here thinking you got to get in this water because there's really something special. There's nothing special about the water. It's the same water that we're flushing the toilets with. The water's not going to do anything for you. It's Jesus. This picture's something. And it depicts not only your death and union with Christ and his death, but it depicts, it portrays your union with Christ and his resurrection. Just as he, God, raised him from the dead, so on the last day you will be raised with Christ. Just as he has raised you with Christ, that's an eternal reality that you don't get to experience in all the fullness of its joy yet, but one day you will. Baptism says this, once I was dead, now I'm alive. 
Jesus died. God raised him from the dead. Once you were dead, now you're alive. Amen? So if you place your hope and trust in Jesus and not the worldly humanistic ideas of the day, you too are alive. Because Jesus is alive. He is alive in you. You've been raised with Him. And baptism has serious implications for daily life. I never really... I, 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 I like to think about these things. But in Colossians chapter 3... Verse 1, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. If you've been baptized, you've been raised with Christ. What should you be seeking? The things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What's this, what's this mean, church? It means we don't live in the underworld anymore. We live above it. We live in the heavenly kingdom. We pursue the passions of heaven. We're running after the things that please God. The things that are done in heaven are the things we're trying to do now because that's where we're headed. We're trying to practice holiness now so that when we get to heaven, it doesn't seem like an odd concept. If you're not practicing, if you're not fighting now for, for joy in Christ now, what makes you think you're all of a sudden going to show up in heaven? If you don't enjoy Jesus now, what makes you think you're going to enjoy him for eternity? You're fighting to enjoy Jesus now because of all that he's done for you. This is why Paul is saying, don't put your trust in any other philosophy or, or, or idea. Because there's nothing better than this. There's nothing better than dying with Christ and being raised with Christ. There's nothing better than the hope. There's no better hope you will ever receive than the hope you've received in Jesus. So, so Paul's saying, don't, don't fall for it. I'm up here like, I'm like, I'm like, uh, I can't think of what the analogy would be, but I'm trying to tell you to, I'm trying to exhort you. I'm trying to tell you, even as I look in the mirror and tell myself, Kenny, don't fall for it. Don't buy the, 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 the philosophies of the day. Don't buy the isms of the day. They don't work. You got something better. You don't need something else to put your hope in. If your hope is in Christ, no one can give you anything better than what God has given you in Jesus. Do you really believe that, though? You're golf clapping. Do you, really, do you really believe that? No, I'm serious, guys. Do you really believe that? Because if you really believe that, it changes everything. Your identity determines your actions. If you remember who you are, you're going to get up a different person, and you're going to fight the good fight of the faith from the place of your changed identity in Jesus. Oh, man. I like to think of it this way. How... You ever hear these stories? Like I was talking to my friend John. He was saying there's this 168 rule. And, and the 168 rule is that everybody gets the same amount of hours in one week. You know what it is? It's 168. It's actually sobering. And you get to decide how you're going to use your 168 hours. But the 168 hours that you, God gave you last week, they go on. You don't get them back. 
But this week, start fresh. You got 168. What are you going to do with them? Man, that's an interesting idea to write out like 168 blocks and decide how you're going to use each of those hours. But that can be sobering, isn't it? Because now you start thinking about, oh my goodness, all the 168-hour weeks I've blown. That's not why I'm sharing this with you. I'm sharing it with you because it illustrates this idea of how would you live your life if you were really counting. Remember that movie, Justin Timberlake? Like the time was in time, yeah. It's like the time is is printed on his arms, like this digital. Can you imagine? What if you had the rest of your life, it's hours, on your arm in the morning and a digital rundown every hour ticking? I wonder how we'd live our lives. You know, the impression is that we'd, it would make us think about that, right? We just kind of plow through life. We don't think about these things. What if you, what if you died and then came back to life? So like you died, you died, and you were like experiencing the joy of being with Christ, but also the sorrow of like leaving your family behind. And then all of a sudden God said, no, psych, I'm sending you back. And, and so you go back. I wonder what would happen. Like I wonder if you, if, if you were to get a second chance on life. I wonder if you were to die, if you died and then came back to life, how would you live? Church, I'm telling you, you did do that if you're in Christ. Your old self died, and now you're alive in Christ. And you have an opportunity today, tomorrow, to keep making Jesus the controlling center of your life. I'll ask the band to come back. J. Ross is going to come up here in a minute. We're going to do these baptisms. Nothing that God does for a Christian after conversion is comparable to this. What I'm trying to say is this. God could not possibly demonstrate His love for you any better than He's already done. You waiting for something else? You waiting for something new? You waiting for... Now, I'm not saying that the Christian life isn't one of experiencing God. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that God has done all that He ever does for sinners through His work on the cross and then Christ rising again. You've got everything you need for this life. The next life is better. The next life, no tears, no tribulation, no trial. But in this life, God could not possibly show you any more love than he has shown you through what Christ has done on your behalf. Do you believe that? You won't golf clap if you believe that. You, 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 it actually will change your life. It actually will help you to get up and face the good fight of the of the faith. One day, divine power is going to lift you out of this realm. There's a part of me that's not ready to go yet. There's a part of me that sees that homeless woman sleeping on the bench and I'm ready to get the heck out of here. 
But one day, divine power, the divine power of God is going to lift me out of this realm with all of its troubles, with all of its tears, to enjoy a life beyond death. What we have now is life before death. The new life of the Spirit. The new life of the faith. The life of union and fellowship with the living Savior. How could any teaching you ever received be better than that? That's what Paul's saying. Don't get kidnapped. Don't buy it. It's not better than that. Remember who you are. In baptism, God says to the believer, you belong to me. You're my adopted son. You're my adopted daughter. And in response, the believer says to God, I belong to you. What a beautiful picture baptism is because it reminds us of who we are. And that's important because our identity determines our action. Amen? You ready for some baptisms? Let's do it.